Revelation 3, 1 through 6. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name in the book of life. I will confer his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Shawnee Campus. Now, as Andrew stated, my name is Henry Thompson, and I am one of the resident pastors at our downtown campus, and I am so thankful to have the opportunity to preach the word to you this morning. And in the 9 a.m. service, I let them know this as well. So I just want to let y'all know up front, before I moved to the Kansas City area, I went to a black church on the south side of Chicago. So I'm used to people saying amen during the sermon and you know, talking back a little bit. So I would never put that on y'all, though. But if you feel led by the Spirit, please feel free to say amen. amen. Y'all with me? I told people downtown that sermon is shorter if you say more amen. So uh, that can also be motivation, because I know we have a, a Chiefs game coming up soon. <laughs> um, now, let's, let us pray before we begin. Father, I uh, thank you for your kindness and your goodness to us, Lord, and I pray that you would hide me at the foot of your cross, Lord, and I pray that you would be glorified through the preaching of your word this morning, and I pray that you would speak to me and your people, Father. Uh, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. Now, I love open mic events, like open mic night events. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to an open mic, but an open mic it's basically where amateurs do comedy, poetry, sing, or rap. And a few months ago, I went to an open mic in Kansas City. Now, the open mic nights I typically attend are free, but this open mic costs $10. So this unexpected cost raised my expectations for this event. And you know, it started off pretty good. There were some decent poetry artists and some good singers, but I wanted to see something more. Since I had paid $10 at the door, I was expecting to hear something that blew my mind. And I thought my expectations were going to be fulfilled. Because throughout the entire open mic, the host kept talking about the featured artist for the night. He informed the audience that there was going to be a vocal performer that was going to perform, he told us that we would not want to miss this amazing singer. He told us that the vocal performer was one of the best soul singers in Kansas City. And I was hyped because I love me some soul music. Now, when the featured artist was finally called up to perform, I was excited because the host of the show had fully convinced me that this was going to be amazing. But as the featured vocal performer began to sing, during the open mic, I realized that I had been deceived. <laughs> I'm not trying to be mean, but the featured artist wasn't the best soul singer. They sang out of tune, 
They missed some key changes. They sang songs that seemed to be a little too high for their voice. And sadly, they sang some songs that are really popular that chocolate people like me know. So I knew they were singing the songs incorrectly. But despite their lackluster performance, the crowd of fans cheered them on. They clapped like the featured singer was the best vocalist they had ever heard. And I'm glad that the singer had a strong network of support. But I was a little distraught because the singer seemed genuinely deceived by the support of the crowd. And I wondered if the singer had anyone in their life who would tell them that they missed numerous notes during their performance. I wonder if they had anyone who would tell them that they sang some songs out of key. I wondered if the vocal performer had someone in their life to tell them the truth so they would improve. Because I didn't want the singer to be deceived into thinking that their performance was great. I didn't want them to be blind to reality. Like the singer at the open mic, the church in Sardis needed someone who would tell them the truth. In our text this morning, we see that the church of Sardis was deceived. They had a crowd of people around them telling them they were a great church, but in reality, they didn't live up to all the hype. They needed someone to inform them that their life was out of tune with God's will. They needed someone to inform them that they were singing the Christian life in the wrong key. And thankfully, we see that they had someone who would tell them the truth about their spiritual state. Now, our text this morning is not just a word to the church in Sardis, it is a word to us, because we too can be deceived about our true spiritual state. And in our text this morning, we're going to see that we can be blind to our true spiritual state. We can be blind to our true spiritual state. We can think that our relationship with God is okay, when in reality we are distant from God and living in ways that he opposes. We can think that we are spiritually engaged when in reality we are completely distracted by the busyness of life with kids, social media, Netflix, and email. As a church, we can think everything is going well in our relationship with Jesus when in reality our faith is weak as a community. Despite this reality, Jesus doesn't let his church stay deceived. And this this is what we have seen over the past few weeks in the book of Revelation. If you are new with us, we are walking through a sermon series called A Church for the End of the World, where Jesus is writing letters to seven different churches. And through his words and the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus helps these churches see their true spiritual state. This is what he does again in our text this morning. And our text this morning calls us to ask ourselves two diagnostic questions. Then it offers us one promise two diagnostic questions, and one promise. The first diagnostic question this text calls us to ask is, is our reputation alive and well while our faith is on life support? Is our our reputation alive and well while our faith is on life support? This text calls us to really examine if our reputation is alive and well while our faith is nearly dead. Now let's look back at verse 1 of our text this morning. Revelation 3, verse 1, it reads, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. In this verse, we see that this letter is directed to the church in Sardis. And further in verse 1, we see that the words of this letter are from Jesus. 
Jesus is the one who has the seven spirits of God, which represents the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one who holds the seven stars, which represent the seven churches. Since Jesus holds and sustains his church, he has the authority to correct and rebuke them. And this is what he does in verse 1 of our text. In the second half of verse 1, Jesus says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Jesus begins his critique of the church in Sardis by letting them know that he is fully aware of their works. Thus, Jesus lets his audience know that he is fully capable of telling them their true spiritual condition. After making this point, Jesus states that the church of Sardis had a good reputation in the city. Sardis was the cool church in the city that everyone was going to check out. The church of Sardis would have had good reviews on Google. Because Jesus lets us know that it it was known for having a good reputation. But despite their good reputation, Jesus tells the church of Sardis that they are dead. Jesus sees through their works and their good reputation, and he calls them a dead church. He says, others are impressed by you. They say you are alive, but I know better. You're dead. You just don't know it yet. And like the other letters, Jesus mentions no external threats. No false teaching, no brazen idolatry as far as we can tell. There's no throne of Satan or secret teachings or Nicolaitans or Balaam or Jezebel or any of the other crazy stuff in the other letters. Jesus simply says, your biggest problem is you. Your reputation makes you think you're alive, but you aren't. Now go with me here for a second. Prior to going to seminary in Chicago... I lived in a city called Memphis, Tennessee, which I believe has the best barbecue in the world. But, yeah, but hold on, y'all gotta stay with me. (laughs) But when I moved to Kansas City, I wanted to give KC Barbecue a fair shot. Y'all got some good places like Gates Barbecue and Q39 and KC Joe's, but there was a barbecue place people told me I had to check out when I moved to KC. People consistently told me that this barbecue restaurant was one of the best in KC, so I went to check it out, and the line was long, so I just knew it was going to be exceptional. When I got to the front of the line, I ordered the burn-ins, as I had been instructed by friends to do. And when I got the food, I eagerly tried it. And I'm going to be honest with y'all, I was disappointed. This restaurant had a great reputation, but... The barbecue wasn't as good as I expected. Later, a friend who was a Kansas City native told me that this particular restaurant used to have better food. She told me that some recent changes led to the quality of the food dropping at this particular barbecue place. She told me that this barbecue spot still had a good reputation, even though the food wasn't as good as it used to be. She basically told me that this barbecue restaurant had a reputation, but the past quality had died. In a higher and holier way, Jesus shows us that churches, like barbecue restaurants, can have a good reputation even if their past quality has died. Churches can have all the signs of vitality even when they are dead on the inside. Jesus shows us that churches can have good reputations according to others while also still being dead. Just because a church is growing and has a lot of people and it does not mean it's alive. This is what we see in our text. Due to their reputation, the church in Sardis thought they were alive, but they were dead. And you know what? We, too, can be deceived like the church in Sardis. 
This is why we must ask ourselves this question. Is our reputation alive and well while our faith is on life support? There's a temptation, and this is true for everyone, but especially true for pastors, to look at church community and think we're active, we're busy, we're growing. There's a lot of things going on, lots of good deeds, a solid reputation in the community, and to think we are alive. This can happen to us. We can think that we are alive because of our works and good deeds. This is why we must examine ourselves and ask God to show us our blind spots because our reputation can be alive and well while our faith is on life support. This is why we need someone to call us out when we are straying away from God's teaching on sexuality. This is why we need someone to call us out when we aren't caring for the marginalized and sharing our faith with unbelievers. This is why we need someone to call us out when we are not forgiving and loving one another as a church family. This text shows us that our church is not immune to being dead like the church of Sardis. This is why we need God's Holy Spirit to convict us of sin. This is why we need God's holy word to correct us. More than outward success or applause or whatever, I want us to be a church that's alive in God's sight. See, the church of Sardis is missing something, and it is killing them. And this can happen in our church community, too, because we can be blind to our true spiritual state. We can be blind to the deadness in our church community. This is what we see in verse 1 of our text. Amen? Amen. Now, as we move back to our passage... We see that Jesus isn't finished yet. And his words should lead us to ask ourselves a second diagnostic question. This text requires us to ask ourselves, are we fighting off the spiritual sleep or are we succumbing to it? Are we fighting off the spiritual sleep or are we succumbing to it? The words of Jesus in this passage call us to really examine if we are spiritually awake. Let's look back at verse 2 of our text. It reads, Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. So Jesus switches metaphors here. Now he's not simply talking to a dying church, but a drowsy one. He's an alarm clock going off, trying to wake up an unconscious church. Jesus calls the church of Sardis to wake up because they are spiritually asleep. They are not attentive to their true spiritual state because they are in an unconscious sleep. Thus, Jesus commands them to wake up. And the reason Jesus wants them to wake up is so that they can strengthen what remains. See, the church in Sardis had a faith that was about to die out. Thus, Jesus calls them to strengthen their faith and hold to their Christian beliefs and practices. Jesus also calls them to strengthen their faith because their works are not complete. The church of Sardis' works were not complete because they were not completely committed to God. They were not fully committed to following Jesus and obeying his commandments. So Jesus informed the church in Sardis that they must wake up and strengthen their spiritual life for their works to be complete. Now Jesus, just, now Jesus does not just command the church of Sardis to wake up and strengthen their faith. He also shows them how to do what he commands. Let's look back at verse 3. It reads, Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. 
In verse 3, Jesus calls the church of Sardis to remember the teachings of the Christian faith. He calls them to remember the word of truth that they have heard and received. The church of Sardis had heard the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ and received it, but they forgot what they had received and heard. So Jesus commands them to remember. Then he calls them to keep that word and teaching that they received. Jesus is basically calling them to obey his teaching by following and keeping his commands. In order to do this, Jesus calls the church of Sardis to repent. Jesus is basically calling the church of Sardis to turn away from their sin and to turn back to their faith in him. Then Jesus ends verse 3 by letting them know that if they don't wake up, they will face consequences. He lets them know that if they stay asleep, that he will come like a thief in the night. Now, this is a common metaphor in our Bible that Jesus uses. We see this in Matthew 24 and Luke 12. Throughout Scripture, Jesus calls his people to be watchful and ready for his return. If the church of Sardis stays asleep, Jesus is going to show up and judge them at a point when they are not ready. Jesus calls his church to repent because he wants them to be ready for his return. If the church of Sardis stays asleep, they will face an unpleasant judgment from Jesus. And this rebuke from Jesus to the church of Sardis should lead us to examine our church and ourselves. Because we can be asleep like Sardis. So we should ask ourselves, are we fighting off the spiritual sleep or are we succumbing to it? Are we fighting off spiritual sleep or are we succumbing to it? Jesus rebukes the church in our passage because there's almost nothing more dangerous than being asleep as a church. When a church is asleep, they are cut off from reality. They are unconscious to their true spiritual state and they are unable to really follow Jesus and his commands. And all churches and Christians have the capacity to fall asleep. This is why it's so important for us to fight off spiritual sleep. We must fight to stay awake or we will not be ready for Jesus' glorious return. Now go with me here for a second. Last year, I went to a conference in Memphis, Tennessee called MLK 50. This was intended, this conference was intended to commemorate the 50-year anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination in 1968 in Memphis, Tennessee. The conference was great, but the trip there was very interesting because I decided to go to this conference at the last minute. And when I say last minute, I mean at the last minute. The conference started in the morning on April 3rd, and I officially decided to go to this conference on April 2nd at 11 p.m. Yeah, I'm a last minute planner. Um, my friend Josh and I started the nine hour drive from Chicago to Memphis, Tennessee at 12 midnight on April 3rd. And I was lucky because I got to be the first one to drive. And as you can guess, my biggest concern was staying awake. I knew I could easily fall asleep at the wheel and end up in a ditch, so I knew I had to be intentional to stay awake. I had to listen to music, roll my windows down. I had to do any and everything that would help me stay awake. I knew I had to fight sleep if I was going to make the trip to Memphis safely. You know what, y'all? I made it. Now, even though I knew I needed to fight sleep in order to make my trip to Memphis, I'm often not as attentive to fighting off spiritual sleep. 
It is easy for me to pick up my phone when I wake up and check my email rather than praying and reading God's word. It's so easy for me to be distracted with social media, Netflix, and YouTube. It's so easy for me to fill up my schedule with work and meetings that keep me so distracted. Distracted. It's so easy for me to let the busyness of my life keep me from fighting to stay awake spiritually. And I have a question for you. Does the busyness of your life ever keep you from fighting off spiritual sleep? Are you ever so distracted with work, kids, and everything else that you forget to fight to stay awake spiritually? See, we live in a culture that lulls us to sleep. We are so comfortable in this country. We have so much technology and gadgets and resources. Our Monday life throughout our week can easily lull us to sleep spiritually. Now, one of my favorite musical art forms is hip-hop. And one of my favorite hip-hop artists right now is a Christian rapper by the name of Jackie Hill Perry. Jackie is married, and she is the mother of two children. And she is one of the most gifted communicators I have ever heard. She is good at preaching, she's an amazing poet, and she's an incredible rapper. Now, in one of her songs called Better, she writes, the truth is simple. I wake up and Folgers folds me into something fickle. In other words, what's brewing is my ruin, it's simple. The music of my morning has no word. Hear the instrumental of the lies of self-sufficiency. I'm living like I've been complete, tweeting before I speak to King Jesus. And these rap lyrics, Jackie highlights the reality that it's so easy to go throughout our week without being attentive to our need to stay spiritually, spiritually awake. These lyrics highlight the reality that we live in a self-sufficient culture, and this culture tells us that all we need to stay awake is our coffee. This culture tells us we don't need to wake up and pray or read God's word. It tells us all we need is our social media to stay awake and up to date on everything, but our text this morning reminds us that we need something better. We need Jesus and his word. This is why Jesus commands his church to get woke and stay woke. Jesus doesn't just tell us to wake up and fight spiritual sleep. He tells us how to do it. Jesus gives two remedies here. First, he says, remember. Remember what you have received and heard. Now, I know I'm supposed to say this as a pastor, but Sunday morning worship, from the singing to the community, the teaching, communion, the benediction, every minute of it is supposed to be like an alarm clock that wakes us up to reality. When we remember, oh, that's right, Jesus is Lord. He's the most important thing in my life. Everything else I do is in service to him. Of course, his opinion matters most, not my friends or my boss or even my spouse. And he says, he loves me, so I'm going to be okay. And yes, that's right. He holds all things in his hands, and I can trust his providential plan and design much more than cable news or social media and all that other stuff. Sunday morning is like waking up and remembering what is truly real, seeing through the fog of our everyday lives to remember the foundation is Jesus himself. Part of staying awake is coming here and worshiping together regularly, diligently. It's how we stay awake. Amen? Amen. Jesus also says to repent. He says, keep what you have received and heard and repent. Now, repentance is not just feeling bad and saying you're sorry. It's turning away from something and turning toward Jesus. And here in this context, I think it means admitting to Jesus and to each other that I'm tired. 
I'm sleepy. I can't stay awake. There's a great irony here. We are never more at risk of falling asleep on Jesus than when we are convinced we are wide awake and don't need help. The key to staying awake, according to Jesus here, is to have so little confidence in your own ability to rouse yourself that you are constantly repenting and asking for help. And a big part of that repenting is asking for help from one another. The community is a part of Jesus' supernatural power to help you. Have you ever tried driving on a long road trip by yourself? Those long hours, the hum of the car, the warm air, and your eyes get droopy. What do you need more than anything there? More than caffeine or music or whatever. You need a friend to keep you awake. I would not have made my trip to Memphis last year without my friend Josh. I would not have stayed awake through the night without his presence. And we cannot stay awake spiritually without the Christian community. Because we can be blind to our true spiritual state by ourselves. It's so easy for us to be blind to the reality that we are spiritually asleep. I have a question. Are there people in your life keeping you awake? Who have the permission to jab you in the ribs and say, hey, watch the road. Truly part of Jesus' incredible gift to each of us is one another. Part of repentance is turning away from white knuckle, I can do it on my own living, to, to the surrender of admitting weakness and asking for help for community. This text calls us to ask ourselves, are we fighting to stay awake? Or are we already asleep and we don't even know it? Let's wake up, church. Let's remember Jesus' teaching and live a life of repentance. Amen? Amen. Y'all got it. Like, y'all with me. Now, as we move back to our text this morning, we see that this text does not just lead us to ask ourselves two diagnostic questions. This text offers us an eternal promise. In this text, Jesus promises that if we conquer, he will cover us. The church and person that turns from spiritual deadness and sleep to Jesus will be covered. Jesus will cover their sins with his spotless perfection. This is what we see at the end of our passage this morning. Let's look back at verse 4 of our text. It reads, Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In verse 4, Jesus lets the church of Sardis know that there are a few people in their church who have not fallen into spiritual deadness and sleep. There are some people in the church at Sardis who have remained true to their faith in him. Jesus uses the image of clean white clothing to illustrate their faithfulness. These few Christians have not allowed themselves to be polluted by the broken and sinful world around them. Thus, Jesus promises that they will walk with him. This imagery of walking with God points us back to Genesis, where Adam and Eve walked with God in an intimate relationship before they disobeyed God and brought sin into the world. 
Jesus promises that these few faithful Christians will walk with him in an intimate relationship in the new heavens and new earth because they are worthy. Then Jesus promises that the one who conquers will also be covered by him with white clothing and be clean. And he informs the church of Sardis that the one who conquers their spiritual sleep and deadness will also never have their name taken from the book of life. Jesus also lets his church know that the one who conquers will be affirmed before the Father and the angels. After offering his people this incredible promise, he calls the church of Sardis to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to their church. Jesus wants the church of Sardis to be changed by this word and to be compelled by this promise. He wants to cover their soil garments with his spotless perfection. And this is what Jesus wants for us today. He wants us to be compelled by this promise. We often try to cover ourselves with our own clothing, like the church of Sardis, but Jesus offers us spotless linens. He offers to cover our shame, but we often try to cover ourselves. We feel a deep sense of exposure, not physically, but spiritually. We, since we are not enough, we have shame around who we are and what others would really think of us if they could truly see us. So we find things to cover up. We look to achievement at work or romance or substances, addictions or financial security or any number of things. But our effort and idolatry won't work. We need Jesus to cover us. And the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we can be covered. See, Jesus was stripped of his glory to cover us. Even though he was God, he took on flesh and lived the perfect life we could never live. Jesus was never spiritually dead and fought off spiritual sleeps perfectly. Then at the cross of Calvary, he was stripped of his clothing to cover our sin and rebellion. They put nails through his hands and feet. They pierced his side. Then on the cross, he dropped his head and died. Then they buried him in a broad tomb, and he stayed there all day Friday, and he stayed there all day Saturday. But Early Sunday morning, he got up out of the grave, conquering sin, Satan, and death. He got up so that we could conquer our spiritual deadness. He got up so that we could awaken from our spiritual sleep. And he got up so that we could take off our soiled clothes of sin and put on his spotless garments. We can be blind to our true spiritual state, but Jesus made a way for our blindness to be covered. So if we are spiritually dead or sleep this morning, All we need to do is turn to him. He can give us life, wake us up, and cover our imperfections with his spotless garments so that we can walk in perfect unity with our glorious God for eternity. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, uh, thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. Pray that if any of us, Lord, are spiritually asleep, including me, Lord, pray that you would wake us up, Lord. Show us your glory, Lord and awaken us and enliven us by your Holy Spirit, Lord, and allow us to be a church that walks faithfully before you, Lord, that is fully alive, Father. We know that you can do it by your power. So all these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.